And I brought my girls who are already being useful, so that's just brilliant. Um, but this evening, I, I actually only decided what I was going to talk about a little bit earlier this week, when it suddenly came upon me that actually I knew exactly what it was um, that God wanted me to talk to you about tonight. And that was a very particular story that many of you will have heard many times before, um, but that I actually think God wants to speak to us through a little bit this weekend in line with what our overall theme is, this idea of Mod of Five being everything to everybody, everywhere we go. And actually, where, let's just, but I want to start us off and give us some foundations um, before we get there. So I want to talk about a story that Jesus told, the story of the great banquet. And you may well be sitting there going, we know this one. But uh, I'm hoping that as we go through, some new things might yet jump out of it. And before I get going, I always um, like to stop and to just explain what's going on in the story who Jesus is talking to, what they might have understood from it at the time. Because when we understand that, it often helps us to understand what it might mean for us today, 2,000 years later, you know, in a nice posh hotel, not some dusty little room somewhere. I don't know where they actually were. But he was, Jesus was sitting down with a whole bunch of movers and shakers in Israel. He was sitting down with you know, lawyers and religious leaders and, and all kinds of people who generally weren't his friends. But he still sat with them, he still talked to them, he still tried to answer their questions. And at this point, he's sitting in somebody's house, and he's about to have a meal. And one of the people at the table with Jesus heard him saying some of the things that he'd been telling lots of stories. And so he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in God's kingdom. Now, I'm going to stop us there. Because I discovered something about this passage a while ago that I didn't realise before. So you have to understand who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to Jews. He's talking to particularly well-off Jews. He's talking to particularly well-educated Jews. People who know their scriptures. People who really have very firm ideas of what it means to know God, love God, follow God, all the rest of it. And this line that he, they say at this point... Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in God's kingdom, this line, they would have had a very particular answer that they were expecting at this point. Because what they are talking about is something that refers back to the Hebrew scriptures from years before. It refers back to, in fact, this particular passage that you find in Isaiah. And this passage in Isaiah is beautiful. It's God's message to his people. And it's this message of inclusivity, of how he's a God for everybody. He loves everybody. He wants the world to know him. He wants his people, the Jews, the Israelites, to take his love and show it and be his ambassadors on earth. And there's this verse. So he says, this is Isaiah speaking God's word to his people. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. The best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers the nations. He'll swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all the faces, even yours, Rhiannon, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. It's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture that we kind of get glimpses of towards, you know, towards the end of the Bible when it talks about God wiping away every tear. It's this really, really beautiful image. 
went on. And as God's people, the Jews, got captured and taken into exile and brought back again, this passage got um, translated again and again and again until it morphed into something that you probably wouldn't even recognize as the same one. I'm going to show you them. It's really interesting. You see, it carries on. It goes, ah, Yahweh of hosts prepares for all the peoples in the mountain. Sounds similar so far. A meal. Sounds good. And although they suppose it's an honor, it will be a shame for them. I did read that bit before. And great plagues, plagues from which they will not be able to escape. It's sounding fairly scary. It gets worse. It carries on. Enoch translates it like this. There will be a great banquet and Gentiles will be included, but the angel of death will use his sword to destroy the Gentiles and the banquet hall will run with blood, beginning to sound like a horror film. It gets worse. No one can attend the banquet who is smitten in flesh or paralyzed in his hands or feet or lame or blind or deaf or dumb or smitten in his flesh with a visible blemish. And suddenly, this beautiful picture that Isaiah had had of what God had in mind for the world at the end of time, this beautiful meal on a mountain that God prepares for all those who love him, becomes unavailable to anyone who isn't absolutely perfect, from absolutely the right family, with exactly the right body, exactly the right health, exactly the right understanding. And it's just become narrowed down into this little tiny thing. So that when somebody says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in God's kingdom, there was this standard response, oh, that I might be found good enough. And so when someone says this to Jesus, they're waiting for that as a response. That's what they're waiting for, to see if he's good enough, to see if he knows the lingo, if he knows how it goes. And instead, Jesus tells them a story. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. Now again, I probably don't need to tell you this, but when Jesus is talking about a certain man, it's not just any man. It's not just a certain man, he hasn't got a name, but this is a story that is all about God. He knows they're talking about God, and he's telling them a story about a certain man, but the certain man totally represents God as he goes. So the certain man's preparing a great banquet. He invited many guests, and then the day of the banquet arrived. He sent his servant to those who'd been invited, and the servant told them, come, everything is ready now. So we've got the story set up, and those of us who know it know what's coming next. This is what's coming next. But they all had the same idea, all the guests. They began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field. I have to go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, well, I've just bought five pairs of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. And still another said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. And on the face of it, and how I've heard this story told many, many times, is that this is a bunch of people who missed a great opportunity. And on one level, that's true. They missed out on the party. They thought something else was more important. They've got their priorities mixed up, and they've missed the party. They've missed a great opportunity. But actually, it is way, way deeper than that. You see, actually, each of these rejections was phenomenally insulting to people at the time. The idea that anybody would be checking out land. The idea that anybody would just pop along to you know, buy land is ridiculous. Land in Israel was so scarce, you know, decent land. Land was so scarce that there were months and months, if not years, of negotiations about land. 
The idea that they would just, you know, well, I'm so sorry, I've got this really important deal and I must check the land out before it goes through. It's a nonsense. And anybody who was listening at the time would have known it was a nonsense. This isn't a polite excuse. This is somebody trying to insult the inviter. And same with checking out the oxen. Now, I'm not an expert in oxen, but I've done a little bit of reading. And what I discovered was this. Again, it was this really long, drawn-out process of working out which oxen go together. You don't just go to check them out on the day and go, looking all right to me, eating well, no dribbly noses, everything's fine. They didn't do that. Because it was really important. It's important they've got the same strength. It's even important that they tire at the same rate. Because otherwise, you've got oxen, apparently, that just go around in circles because one's tired than the other, and the strong one just pushes around, and they're just off. So this is a, not just a lame excuse, it's a rude excuse. And then when you get to the last one, that's just unspeakable. That's just downright rude. He's basically going, I'm sorry, I've got the woman back there, I'm going to check her out. This is more than, you know, oh, don't try to do too much in your honeymoon period. This is, excuse me, I've got something better to do, wink, wink, nod, nod. And in those days, as in these days, in fairness, particularly in the Middle East, that was a shockingly rude thing to say. Shockingly rude. In fact, there's one Hebrew scholar that says, do you know what, to talk about like this, to talk about your wife like this in those days, is to bring 70 years of unhappiness on you. That's how rude it was. So rude. So humiliating. And it's not just a bunch of people who've got their priorities upset, up, upside down. It's this whole conspiracy to humiliate the man who's thrown the party. It's akin to the kid at school who throws a party and everyone else doesn't think she's cool enough. So they go, oh, we're not coming, we'll just, you know. And she just ends up embarrassed and alone, knowing that there's nothing more important, just knowing that it's about her. That's what this is. This is one of those things when these guys have got together and gone, ugh. And they've chosen to conspire to humiliate the master, the certain man, or God. Let's carry on with the story. Because as we carry on with the story, we find that in the space of three lines, the master is just amazing, and I'll come back to that in a minute. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry. And he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the town, bring in those who are poor, also bring in those who, are, who can't see or walk. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. In the space of just three lines, the master goes from being angry to finding phenomenal grace, doesn't he? You see, we could all understand somebody who at that point went, that's outrageous. I tell you what, I'm sending you back to them and you can tell them exactly what I think of their excuses. You can tell them I understand how humiliating that was meant to be. You can tell them what I think of them. You can tell them how fortunate they were to be invited to my party. That's it. I'm never throwing another party again. I'm never inviting them. I'm not speaking to them. In fact, I'm going to go and talk to all the people who still talk to me about how awful these people are. And we'd understand that, wouldn't we? We'd be like, yeah, fair enough. They were rude. But this master doesn't do that. He moves on. And he moves in grace to the next set of people, the people that those translations of that passage in Isaiah did not include. And he says, do you know what? Go back out. Let's find some different people for our party. Let's go out and see who we can find instead. Let's actually turn all this emotion that I've got, all this emotional energy and my anger, let's turn it into something way more productive. Let's invite some more. And he goes from inviting just the obvious people, the movers and the shakers of Jewish society, 
into going and inviting the down and outs of Jewish society. Go on, let's, let's invite those guys. The ones who can't walk, the ones with funny skin things, the ones you know, who look a little bit weird, the ones who've got no money, the ones who've got no home. Let's just get them in. Let's do it. Let's bring them in. And so they do. So he says, go out into it. And then the, um, the servants come back and he says, sir, there's more. So then the master tells his servant, let's go out to the roads. Let's go out to the country lanes. Make the people come in. I want my house to be full. I tell you, not one of those people who were invited initially will get a taste of my banquet. And this is where I really love the story. You see, because what Jesus is doing is he's taking them right back to that original translation. Well, not the translation, that original passage that Isaiah wrote. He's taking them right back to it. And he's saying there will be a banqueting table where everybody will be welcome. People from all nations, people of all healths, of all shapes and sizes, from all different backgrounds, of all different wealths, and they will sit at my table. And it will be wonderful. And there will be a party. And they will enjoy it all together. And he's gone from inviting just the obvious to the inside outcasts. And he goes, do you know what? Let's get the total outsiders in. The ones who aren't even Jews. The ones who don't even live in the city. The ones who nobody thought was ever included in the first place. Let's get them all in. It's this beautiful, beautiful story. And Jesus says, do you know what? At this party, the only ones who won't be there are the ones who chose not to be there. That's it. Everyone else will get to be here. It's beautiful. But there's something about the story that stands out. Because he finishes it with this line. And he says, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes like to imagine it. I can almost imagine Jesus eyeballing those guys who sat around him. I tell you, not one of those will be at my banquet. And you can imagine them going, he's just changed what person he's talking in. He's not talking about the certain man anymore. Suddenly it's become his banquet. And he's eyeballing them saying, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about you. Can you imagine it? it? Must have been fairly sobering. He sat there and saying, the promise is for everyone. But there will be people who are not there. There will be people who are not there. And it won't be because they're not invited. It's because they rejected the invitation. I wonder if they just felt a little bit funny in their tummy. I wonder. But you see, actually, this urgency of the, of the invite is important to us as well. I think sometimes we follow Jesus as if it's this really nice thing to do, which it is. It's just a really nice club to be part of. People are nice. You can ask them how they are, and they're allowed to tell you if they're not okay, and we're just going to sit with them. It's going to be great. It's going to be like Pooh and Piglet, and it's lovely, and it is. But there's something really serious going on underneath, because if this thing that we all believe in is true, yeah. it really matters. It really matters. If Jesus was the Son of God, if he came to earth to walk amongst us because he loved us so much, if he allowed these men who rejected him again and again and again to take him to a mock court and take him through a farce of a trial, if he did that, if he let them whip him and beat him and march him up a hill, staggering under the weight of the cross he had to carry, if he allowed them to nail his hands into the cross, if we believe that he did that because that was the only way to bring us back into relationship with God, the only way to rescue us, if we believe that, then surely it matters. 
This invitation is urgent. The people that we love need to hear it. We need to be getting in on this invitation ourselves. We need to be thinking about who we need to take it to. It matters, actually, that we invite and we invite and that we invite and we just keep on inviting. We invite them to toddler group and we invite them to Alpha and we invite them to out for coffee. We invite them and we tell them and we invite them to know Jesus. That we find the courage to do that and to keep going. Because sometimes we just act like it's not true, I think. And it's hard to swallow that. To go, no, I know, I know that Jesus is real. I follow him, I believe in him, I pray to him. He's done amazing things in my life. But when we don't feel like, passionate about telling the people around us about him, that doesn't quite match up. It's like we've got split ourselves in two and gone, this part of me totally believes in Jesus. This part of me believes he could do anything. This part of me thinks he's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way to God. But this part of me, well, not so sure. And I think my friends look quite happy. And that's so easy. I do that. I'm not standing here going, you're all terrible people. Okay, I do this. I do this. I think, oh, they're, they're probably going to you know, hate me if I just keep banging on about Jesus. They're, you know, my kids, my, ki- my grown-up kids, who at the moment don't particularly want to go to church, if I keep going on about it, I'll push them further away. There's truth to that. There's, there's great truth in knowing your moment. But don't give up on them. Don't stop waiting for those opportunities and seizing them when we get it. There's a guy in this story that I really love who I think often gets missed out. And it's the servant. And as I looked at the servant, I thought, he has quite a journey in this. Not just that he keeps being sent out and he's you know, clocking up his steps. But he goes on quite a personal journey. Because at the beginning of this story, this man is just a servant. Right? And he, he knows his master, and he knows he's got to do what his master says. So at the beginning of this story, he listens to the order, and he gets the invitations, and he goes around and he hands them out, and he does that. And then he goes out again to remind everyone that it's dinner time. John, you're going to come in, it's, it's time. So he does that. It's part of his job. It's part of what he's meant to do, and if he doesn't, he might get the sack. You know, that's just his job. And then he comes back. And he's got this awful thing to have to tell his boss. Sir, they were so rude. I don't even want to tell you what they said, but they're not coming. And then his master says, right, it's time to go back out again. And you can imagine him thinking, oh, no, that was bad enough the first time. Those guys didn't want to come. And they were so rude. Then I had to tell him, and he was mad. Really, I have to go out again? But he does, because it's still his job. But this time, something's a little bit different, because this time he goes out to a different bunch of people, and this time... This time, people are quite excited about coming to the master's party, and he comes back. And what I really love about this guy is that when he comes back the second time, he's begun to get it. Because he comes back and he says, Sir, what you've ordered, I've done that, but I think there's room for more. And he's suddenly got involved in the story. Up until this point, he's just doing what he's told. He's just doing what, you know, it's his job, it's in his job description, it, you know, he's probably got targets about going out and inviting people, and he just goes out and he does what he's meant to do. And then suddenly he's taking initiative and suddenly he's really quite excited about this. He quite likes inviting people out because it was fun. It was great watching those guys that never get invited and watching their face light up and go, what, really? Me? Are you sure? Because I... No. No. Really? Excellent. Oh, what shall I wear? You can imagine it. It's like, that was great. I love that. And now there's more space. There's more space. I know my my master's house is huge. We could get loads of people. We've killed so many fatted cars. It's going to be great. There's more, there's room for more. And he comes back, he's like, so, 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 what could we do next? And he suddenly got involved. And you know, the thing I think is, is that Jesus didn't tell stories without thinking about every little part of it. 
I'm so sure he put this person in on purpose, this character. The servant's there with a, for a purpose, isn't he? You see, at the beginning of the story, a certain ma man could well have just, you know, put out his invite to everybody in the first place. That would have been really straightforward. And then some people wouldn't have come and some people would. It would have been a boring story, but it would have, you know, it would have worked. But actually, he doesn't. You see, the master chooses to work and walk alongside his servant. A bit like he chooses to work and walk alongside us. And he says, do you know what? I'm going to give you some instructions and I'm expecting you to follow them but I'm watching you. Let's see how this goes. And it gets embarrassing the first time. And then, you know, and, the, and then he watches his servant get more exciting, more excited. And then his servants come back, give us more, what can I do next? He's like, oh, I've got such a great idea of what we should do next. It's a showstopper. Let's invite everybody. You know, and you can imagine it. And you're like, do you know what? I think that's what God does with us. I think he gave us the Bible and he gave us his word and he says, do you know what? Go out and take, you know, the gospel to the ends of the earth. God, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, do that. And so we come become Christians and we go, hmm, okay, I know that the next thing I have to do is to start telling people about Jesus. When I feel brave enough, I will do that, and I won't like it very much because it's a little bit scary, but I'll have a go. And some of us will, won't even get to that stage, actually, because it's just too scary. But when we get to go and have a scary, and someone turns around and goes, nah, do you know what, I'm not really very interested, then some of us go, ah, oh, okay, I'm not doing that again, that was horrible, and that was everything I thought it would be. And then we come back to our Bibles and we go, no, we definitely said I have to keep doing this. There's no, like, opt-out. If they say no, leave it, that's not in there. You know, 3 Corinthians 14, verse 2. <laughs> it's not in there. So, you know, you go, I'm going to have to try this again. And then slowly but surely, we, we might have a go again. Well, I, you know, maybe I was a bit full on that time. I'll try something different with somebody new. Or I've just come across this person. Actually, I think they actually want to hear about Jesus. This is grand. So, and we start, and then the excitement begins to build. And if we keep pushing in, sometimes it just begins with sheer obedience. It's okay to go, Jesus said I should do this, so I better had. I don't feel very excited or very faithful or very anything, but I'm going to do it because it says to. That's okay. It's a place. That's where the servant began. But if you keep going back out, if you keep following the orders, there comes a point when, just like the servant, you go, oh, this is great. There's room for more. I find some more people. They don't know anything about Jesus yet. Let's tell them. And I think that that's why the servant is in this story. Because he's there to remind us that actually you don't have to get it at the beginning. It hasn't got to be your idea. You don't have to know all the, all the answers. You don't even know who to go to. Just be obedient. But in your obedience, know that God will meet you. Know that he will walk alongside you. Know that he will wait and watch to see as you begin to find the excitement, to see where you can go. And the other thing that I noticed as I read through this story again, oh, not that bit, was... That actually, when he goes out the third time, he says, go out, go out, you know, past the walls of the city, go out into the town and countryside, go out to the guys who aren't even, you know, they're not even Jews. Go out there, invite those guys. And he says, make them come. Now, we could turn this into a crusade and just like force frog march everyone into church, but I don't think that's what it means. You see, he's going out this time to the people who are so down and out, the people who are such rejects, in society, that I think the master knows that these people are going to need quite some compelling to come back with a servant to the party. He knows that. And we know those people. We know the people who don't feel like they're good enough for anything. They're not good enough to be part of a friendship group. They're not good enough to get a job. They're not good enough to have a family. They're not good enough for anything at all. They feel like society's told them they're not good enough. They're not pretty enough. They're not tall enough. They're not clever enough. They're not anything enough. 
And I think the master and I think Jesus is saying, make them understand. They're enough for me. They're enough for me. They can never actually be enough for me, but it doesn't matter because I'm enough for them. That's what matters. Help them to understand that this is a place where everyone can belong. My table, my house, my church is a place where everyone can belong. You see, there's that second challenge that comes in here that says make sure that when they come, they don't feel like they got the wrong invitation. It was the wrong name on that invite. Make sure they understand that when they come in, this, there was that seat was waiting for them. It was waiting for them. That this friendship group was just not quite right without them. But actually, they totally belong. Even though they don't know anything from the Bible yet. Even though they don't know the words of the songs or the, anything. They don't even know when to stand up or sit down. They don't know. Like, just make them feel at home. That's what he's saying. Make them come. Make them believe that I want them. Make them believe that this is for them. Make them believe that here is where they find hope. Here is where they find peace. Here is where they find transformation. Make sure that you're the most welcoming family that they have ever known or could ever know. We're meant to invite and invite and invite. We're meant to make sure that when people come to Jesus, when they come into our churches, they feel like they've come home. That's the challenge. And it's a scary challenge. Because as I say that, I feel inadequate to that challenge. I feel inadequate. Most of us must feel inadequate. There's probably a couple of us who are like raging evangelists who are just fantastic at this. And like, no, bring it on! And if I was sat, I'd be going, oh no, I'm going to have to go home and do it. But here's the thing. Just like the master walked with the servant, Jesus never promised to leave us on our own. He promised to be with us. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He didn't give the command first. He gave the promise first. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and then you'll have the power to do these things. He gave the promise first. You know, when we sit here and we think, I can't do that. I don't know how to talk about my faith. I'm too scared to ask my colleague at work if she'd like to come to the Christmas carol service. I don't know how to invite my next door neighbor to Alpha. I just don't even know how to find the words. You know, it's hard enough just like admitting I even go to church in the first place. But in fact, that's even a step too far. It's hard. Yeah, you don't have to do it on your own. Nobody expects you to do it. We sang that song about God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. That's the truth. That's what I discover again and again and again, is every time I step out, because I think God's asked me, and I sit there and I think, oh, I can't do this. God shows up. He just does. You know, if we pray and ask him to give us opportunities to talk to people about him, they'll turn up, and then he'll help us to work out what to do with them. He will. So I just want to leave you with a couple of thoughts. The truth is, we're made in God's image, and he's this relentless inviter, just like the master, at that banquet. He invites and he invites and he invites. And if we're made in his image, then we need to do the exact same thing. Let's not put off the invitation. There is urgency to this invitation. The people that we love need to know Jesus. The people we don't know yet, they need to know Jesus too. The people we don't know who don't think they're good enough for us, they need to know Jesus. And those don't come in some kind of hierarchy of need. They all need Jesus. They all need Jesus. And it's up to us to to tell them about him. Don't be put off by refusals and put-downs and fear of what people will say. Because that's the enemy talking. You know, there's there's ways to go about it. There's times to keep your mouth shut. There's, there's, you know, subtleties. and We'll we'll hear about those at other times. If I talked about that, I'd be here for another hour and that would bore everybody. But don't be put off. 
And if it happens, go back again. Remember that servant, go back again. Again and again and again and again. And don't stop with mission. Don't stop with your toddler groups. Don't stop with your old people's groups. Don't stop with your, you know, your night buses. Don't stop with any of the things that reach out into the community to get the people who think that they're not good enough. Because Jesus loves those people. The Bible is full, just rammed, jammed full of God's heart for people who are broken, people who are outcast, people who are foreign, people who are other, people who are different. God loves those people. And we're made in his image, so we need to chase after them ourselves. So, I'm going to finish. I'm not going to pray for you. But I'm just going to have a couple of minutes of quiet, actually. Because I want us to take some time to just ask God to bring to our minds, who are those people that we need to invite? Just a couple. One, two, three. We don't have to save the world all in one go. But if you can, that would be awesome. But let's ask God to bring those people to our minds so that we can hold them in our minds as we go through the rest of this weekend. As people talk to us about different ways of you know, engaging with community and you know, reaching out and sharing our faith and all those different things, let's carry these people in our mind over so we can be thinking about them, thinking, well, what would work for them? What might, what might help? What might help me to, to get through? What might help me to show the love of God? Maybe just a prayer, maybe anything, but let's just spend some time so God we come to you and we just want to worship you we want to say thank you thank you for inviting us to your banquet thank you that even though we'd never be good enough you're enough for us that all you did on the cross was enough for us that actually that initial image that initial beautiful picture of this banquet on the mountain where everyone comes and feasts together is of you it's your vision for the future. It's your vision of what should be. But God, we ask that actually you would help us to have that same vision that you have. That you would ask us, that actually you would stir in us through your Holy Spirit that, that urgency of the invitation. That you would stir in us a passion to go out and look for those opportunities to share what we know about you. Whether it's just through little prayers, whether it's just through letting someone know that we go to church, whether it's through starting conversations or inviting people to... To, to services or Alpha or whatever it is. God, I pray that you would help us to feel a little bit more excitement about that. That actually, if this is just the first step of obedience, you'll give us the courage to step out. But that God, you'd stir that passion, you'd stir that excitement, you'd stir just that privilege it is to be able to partner with you in this. How awesome that the Master used the, you know, enabled the servant to be part of it. How awesome that you allow us to be part of your story, agents, characters, in your great story. So God, we come to you now and we just say that we submit ourselves to you. Just ask that you bring to our minds those people around us who you have in your sights, that you've placed for us to invite. And we pray for those opportunities to step up, to speak out, and to invite them into a wonderful relationship with you.